And welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Field, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you have joined myself. Of course you joined myself. That's why I'm here. Also with Lauren and Matt and Joe, as together we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ. So one of the other members of our Restless team suggested this topic. And uh, so we had a couple episodes about raising kids. But the truth is that Christ calls us to be childlike. And, you know, we were kind of debating, you know, we were speaking about this, uh, this particular member of our team, Angelica, who herself has, you know, some great childlike qualities of, you know, really reflecting like that, that things about children. What in the world does that mean as a young adult uh, to be childlike? Well, when it comes to the faith and following Jesus, I think what it means is having complete trust in him. Right. Because if you look at a small child, you know, two or three and their parent throws them up in the air, they are just full of joy and there's, you know, no fear of falling to the floor. Right. And, and I think God does want to throw us up and, you know, give us joy and wonder and, and all of that. And we have to know he's going to catch us. We have to have that sense of trust. I think most of us are more like, don't get near me. Don't pick me up. I want to control my entire life, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of about having that trust. And I've also heard it as um, related to like for myself, I'm supposed to do silent prayer and it's really tough for me. Um, my spiritual director said, imagine, you know, a small child who's in their parents' arms and they're just resting there, right? They're just at peace. They're being held and comforted by someone who, you know, loves them and protects them. Right? Like that is God to us. Mm-hmm. And that could be our childlike relationship with him if we're willing to see it that way right and live it that way that's That's a a great image yeah yeah i like that's something that i've i have attempted to do i'm i'm also i'm italian so i'm not good at listening you know (laughs) but but like i have attempted silent prayer and i cannot go longer than like you know generously five minutes you know truly and that is that is a great image yeah. Thank you. You have helped me. Well, yeah. Sister Antonia gets the props. That image of being thrown up in the air, though, is is, uh, is sobering, you know? Because, okay, it's one thing, I guess, when you see your father, but when you don't see your Heavenly Father, you know, that's like, whoa, wait a second. This is what he's calling us to, though, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're supposed to live his will for us, and we don't know what it is. He's not telling us directly. So that's having trust and faith. Yeah, yeah. With that image in mind, right, of getting tossed in the air, think about, yes, like the the child is like smiling and laughing, but usually the parent is too, mm. you know. So that's how God is looking back at us. Mm. That and that's that's a cool uh, image. I I just read Orthodoxy over uh, a break, you know, the 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 school break because I'm in grad school, and one of the last lines, it kind of caught me off guard, but the last line of Orthodoxy by Chesterton is one of the oft-forgotten features of the Lord is his mirth, hmm. his joy, his, hmm. you know, his, like, the wonder. And yeah, we don't like, talk about that. And I was like, I was like, that's true. I don't, I don't think about that while I pray, you hmm. know? Like, in, in, in so far as it belongs to him, you know? Not even, not even... Oh, how does it, how does he feel about me? You know, cause maybe, you know, you try and think like, yeah, God loves me. You know, Jesus loves me. This I know, you know, but, <laughs> but his, his personal joy. Well, I think that's one of the things that's attracted people to the series, the chosen. 
Yes. Is that the fact that Jesus has a sense of humor. And Absolutely. The first time, really, you know, I can't think of any of really other mu- mu- good movies or shows yeah. that, show, I mean, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus is very solemn. and Right. Yeah, he's friendly. Yeah. Yeah, he laughs. He makes he, jokes. He, yeah, he's jokes. captivating. I love that show. <laughs> the chosen. Yes. Well, what you made me think of uh, like the joy that God has. You know, it almost goes to. Or I think a good example is getting gifts is great, right? Especially as a little child, you're like, oh yeah, I got this toy that I wanted. But then as you get older and you start to give gifts and you see that joy on the receiver's face, right? It is so joyful and fulfilling for you, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's so satisfying, and you know, I could only imagine hopefully one day for my own children, you know, to experience that joy. Mm-hmm. And I have not thought about God experiencing that through our joy and what he gives us right. either. Yeah. Just fascinating. And of course, you know, one of the reasons that kids can be so joyful is that they don't take themselves seriously. They can be silly. They can laugh at themselves, you know. And, right. and, and so to be childlike, I think, is to have that kind of humility to be like, you know what? I'm not all that important. Mm. I can goof around. You know, I mean, right. just, I can joke around and... I think related to both those points is like I was reflecting on the docility because I mean children don't really have any like they don't they're not under the illusion they can live by themselves you know um, and so they sort of know they're reliant on their parents and that makes them docile to their parents will when they tell them to the point of even naivete sometimes right like I remember when I was younger uh, like a lot younger um, I didn't like I was picky I still am picky eater and so my parents one time I had to get shots told me that I had to get shots because I didn't eat enough um, meat and vegetables they called them meat and vegetable shots it was like a decade before I like thought about that and I was like huh I mentioned my dad and he was like you believed us and I was like well I was like seven of course I believed you you were my parents I didn't think you'd lie to me you know but like that just sort of like t- like sort of just you know I see it sometimes in the kids at GCC too. I mean, they're not that, I mean, they're still young, but they're in seventh and eighth grade and I'll posit a teaching in the church and immediately there's pushback. And my reaction is always like, why are we pushing back against this? So like take a minute and just accept it as true. Accept it as coming from a church that loves you and a God that loves you. And then let's talk about it. And, but I think at a certain age, um, we lose the ability to just accept things and then to think about them. We say, well, I have to believe it. Like I have to, it has to originally conform to my own, my own preconceptions. And then I can believe it as opposed to submitting ourselves to other people's wills. Right. Hmm. That's an, that's an interesting point. Yeah. I think that's so true. I mean, it's so common that exactly what you said, if, if it's not logical, to me, if I can't understand it in my tiny little brain or whatever, if I can't fathom it, this cannot be true. And this is how people falsely think that God doesn't exist or that Jesus couldn't have risen from the dead or all these amazing miracles that he performed and that still happen today. But that's backwards. Or even like a quick example, like I was talking about confession and I always use the most extreme examples I'm like with the kids I teach. So I always, my example I always use is if you confess to a priest that when he leaves, you are going to kill him in the parking lot, he can't call 911. So I want to drive home to them though. Hopefully that's theologically accurate or not. He can't tell. Uh, <laughs> my point is that you can't break the seal. How, how would you not break the seal of confession if you? Here's how I would not break the seal with that one. If someone confesses that they're going to commit a sin, I would say, you're not sorry. This is not a confession. Mm. Priest can call it off. A priest can call off a confession after you. But if, wow! If, apply retroactively in the moment. If, if if and I hope I'm being theologically accurate. Here. <laughs> <laughs> but if I mean, yeah, if if somebody says I'm going to do something, then you're not sorry. That means right. that means that you're making a mockery of the sacrament. It's a sacrilege, right? Right. Which means that the priest can say, "Time out." Yeah. You're going to kill me? No. Right. Well, fair enough. <laughs> not going to do that. On that. But but the, but if someone says, you know, I planted a bomb and I'm really sorry about right. that. I mean, like, yeah, it's. Right. Right. But the reason I bring it up is that 
we somehow got on the subject of like, would a priest and would God be forgive like Hitler or some other awful dictator? And I said, well, yeah, like there's always a chance for repentance, even for the worst among us. And the kid just immediately, immediate reaction was, well, that's stupid. And I was like, well, it's not <laughs> like, it's not for us to say God's mercy is stupid because like, we don't understand how we could forgive somebody for doing something so evil. And I think that's like, like a younger kid would have been like, oh, that's awesome. But you know, you get to a certain age and you're like, really? That doesn't make any sense to me. And it's like, hmm. the willingness to just sort of let go of your own ego, right? We, hmm. we find it difficult as adults, but it's a lot easier for kids, I think. That's funny because I've always liked teaching that like 14, 15 year old because that's because I like them questioning it all. You know, yeah, it's, thinking abstract. It was great, but it also can be exhausting. It can be right? exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It can have little- and it's, and I mean, listen, we live in a society that's got this deep seated cynicism, you know, where it's like that, that response of, well, that's stupid. Well, that's a stupid response. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, like oh, God's stupid, but you at 13 know better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I've, I've, heard, that's fair. That's fair. I've heard a comeback about, about atheism that's like, uh, the only way you can be certain that God doesn't exist is if you think you're God, because that's the only way to infallibly know anything. Mm. Like, uh, what are you, God? Yeah, good job. That's <laughs> a good point. You know? But, you know, it's interesting, and, and this may go to what Lauren said, too, is that you know, if you don't have the perspective of faith, you know, if you're coming into a confirmation class or whatever, and you don't actually believe anything, mm-hmm. then everything's going to be false, right? Like in the same way, if you if you don't have a relationship with God, then everything the church tells you is just going to be like another rule, another you know, and, right. you, and you want to find loopholes, and because because that fundamental like, no, I really love God, is not there. Yeah. Hmm. No final causality. No why. Right. No why. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was really deep. so but okay no so we're talking about like child being childlike but there's a lot of elements of children that we should not imitate right i mean so you should what's the difference between being childlike and childish to me being childish is characterized by immaturity and and also selfishness right Mm -hmm. and those are not things i think a christian can you know indulge or be characterized by but i think to me like being childlike is embracing the good things of the good ways a child relates to the world. So wonder, curiosity, docility, trust, like, like you said. Um, yeah. And like, and, but not, you know, the solipsistic, like the whole world revolves around me and I can't imagine that other people like exist when I'm not in the room. Right. Like that's like that total <laughs> self-consuming, you know, self-centeredness. Right. I think that's just immaturity. That's, that's childishness that needs to be, you know, grown out of. Sure. Sure. Which kind of brings us to the next question. You know, we live in a, a culture that there's often that term thrown around a prolonged adolescence. You know, people are still acting like adolescents when they're 27, 28. You know, what's, how's that different than, you know, Christ called to be childlike? Because if someone's 28 and still acting like a child in some respects, you're kind of like, wait a second. Right. Well, I think the argu- argument could be made that that prolonged adolescence is uh, defined by slavery to your appetite. Ooh, Do you know what I good, mean? Yeah. Like, like children, I mean, you know, please God, children aren't going around and, you know, sleeping around or like, you know, messing around with things like that. You know what <laughs> I mean? But like when somebody does that as an adult, knowingly, you know, that's childish. Mm. You know what I mean? That's like, it's, it's not a mature thing to do. Yeah. You know, and so I think that it's that that slavery to the appetite, to the passions, to the, you know, you're not exercising self-control, you know. And that's something children don't do well. That's not something that children do, you know. There's chocolate there. They're going to eat it. Right. Regardless of whether or not they should or. Right. I don't want to have my broccoli. (laughs) I remember one time when I was, my best friend was a girl who lived across the street. Her name was Heather. And uh, she had 
it, I remember I was playing at her house one time. I was like five years old. And she had stepped out of the room and I saw a cookie on a plate next, right next to her bed. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Like, she's not here. I'm going to eat it. So I took one bite. It was a nicely decorated bar of soap. <laughs> oh, and when she came back man. in, I had to explain to her why there was a bite taken out of her soap. <laughs> but, That's you know, great. looking back, I was like, how selfish is that? Like, I mean, it's not even yeah. my cookie. I'm not asking. I'm just like, I'm just going to eat it. It's there. <laughs> You got what you deserved. I did get what I deserved. <laughs> Not the last time my mouth got filled with soap, but <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think one thing that one thing that um, is is a mature characteristic of you know of a Christian and and really to get you out of this childishness is taking responsibility for others. You know, whether it's your children or just kind of living for something bigger than yourself. You know, and then, and that's something that it's, I, we talked about it in a past episode, how, you know, I've got some siblings who are married, but have not chosen not to have kids and other siblings who are married with three kids. And boy, the ones that are married with three kids have like, are so much more mature, so much more just, they carry themselves with a, a greater dignity mm-hmm. because they've got a responsibility and they realize yeah. that. Yeah. I think, um, this prolonged adolescence is hurting a lot of people. I think especially men, they're not, um, you know, coming into who they're meant to be, which is providers, husbands, and fathers, you know? And I guess they think sitting around and playing video games for hours and smoking pot and drinking and just playing games with friends, poker, um, casual dating, not even committing to a girl in certain circumstances, right? right? I'm like, you're not even going to be my girlfriend. We're just hanging out. They think Mm. that is fulfilling. That's freedom. I don't think it's freedom. I think they are slaves to their passions in a lot of ways. They're not fulfilled. And I think this is proven at this point, like depression is on the way, on the rise, right? Um, people are on so many drugs and things. People are not happy. You are called to right. grow up and get married and have a family, and that is where your fulfillment is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no. It, you're right. Absolutely. It's like not surprising at all that these are the repercussions we're facing. You know, I'm. I want to say, like, I was going to say as a culture or like as a nation. You know, because I feel like it is. It is very much epitomized in uh, Western culture. You know this this prolonged adolescence. Yeah. You know, that, life's a game. That's that's not obviously the childlikeness. <laughs> yeah, Christ is no, no way. Teach us. But you know, so one of the aspects then of having a, a responsibility is to be able to really kind of protect people that you're under from evil in the world. But one of the aspects of childlikeness is innocence. How is it possible? Is it possible? Should we try to keep innocence if we have to face evil in the world? Well, I mean, I feel like you can in small ways. So, like we were talking, I mean, you know, like in our in our in our in our movie episode, we talked about we talked about you know what is is not appropriate to watch, and like, um, you know, if you are somebody who is really affected by excessive violence or excessive nudity or excessive sort of demonic activity, then you know, guarding yourself and keeping yourself innocent from those specific scenes is a mark of maturity. Whereas, mm. it, whereas like, it's a thing characteristic of children, especially like for young boys, to like be daring enough to watch the scary thing with their friends. And then have nightmares for like a week, and you know, <laughs> you know like it takes someone. Sounds like you're talking from personal experience. Absolutely, but it takes someone who's mature to be willing to say, like, yeah, like I'm actually like a total wimp, and I'm not going to be able to watch this. I'm not going to be able to watch The Conjuring or you know, The Exorcist. Um, and that doesn't make you, I think, less able to guard against those things, right? It's a proper, it's it's a healthy respect and fear of 
the, the evil supernatural in this example that drives you to keep yourself innocent of those specific things, you know? Mm. But that's sort of narrow to like certain situations. You can't be totally ignorant of these things. I mean, maybe ignorance and innocence is maybe different, maybe different than in that case, right? Oh, that's a good distinction. Ignorance and innocence. Hmm. Well, we all start out, I think, very innocent, right? And, you know, as a child grows, obviously their body is developing, their brain is developing, and I think their innocence should develop. And there's probably a proper way to do that where, you know, as you're going through schooling, right, you learn history, you learn about injustices that have been committed and um, so you're taught it and then maybe at a certain point you reach an age where there's some kind of an appropriate film or documentary that shows it you know so it's um, kind of cultivated as you are maturing to lose your innocence Mm. in a proper way versus like a small child just seeing something violent you know gun shooting or whatever video games right then they're robbed of their innocence and then they lose the sense of even that that's wrong you know what I mean like you can distort your conscience by these influences. Right. And and I think that's a common argument for, you know, how do we let kids play such violent video games, right? Robbed of your innocence as a result of it because it's not cultivated properly. Yeah. I think there's too, you know, if you go back to Hebrew, the word in, in Hebrew for knowing is, I, I guess there's kind of a couple of different senses of it. There's like head no- knowledge, but then there's like experiential knowledge where it kind of gets into your heart and into your soul. And and there can be a lot of things that we know intellectually. Like I know that child trafficking is a problem, you know, but obviously if I, you know, watch a, a movie, I would perhaps know on a deeper level, you know, if I go out and try to, you know, meet a child trafficker, then you'd, you would know kind of even even more viscerally. So I think there's different ways to know you can know something without actually like having it part of your soul yeah i mean that's a pretty common uh apologetic tool for uh pro-life activists they'll say you know you're pro-choice well have you ever seen one you ever seen an abortion mm. and and i think that like i I'm, i mean i i guess i don't personally know anybody that's been you know convicted by seeing an abortion but i've heard stories I don't know anybody because I've never seen one myself, yeah. you know, well, but I'm sure if I saw you should it. watch Silent Scream. Oh, Short. yeah. It's on YouTube. Right. You know, that's a good point. It relates back to what Lauren was saying, because that's a great, that's great information for some people to have. Yeah. But you would never begin a third or fourth graders pro-life education by showing them an abortion. Right. Like right. any more than you would, like, I, I think maybe seventh or eighth grade, my school, like as a grade, watched Schindler's List, Oh, which was very great educational, wow. but you would never walk into second grade, be like, all right, kids, like, here's such a, like, so, and that's like, to your point is that we, like, we understand intuitively there's a graduality to the way we ease kids out of innocence or into a more mature innocence. So like, mm-hmm. and, and not to shock them and overwhelm them with something that they're just simply not ready for. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think as it's interesting, I was thinking more about what you were saying about, about how we like ease people out of it or into it in a more deep way. Well, I think innocence can be chosen. You know, you can, you can kind of see the evil that's in the world and choose not to participate in it. I think of, in particular, there's one girl who used to be in our youth group. Her, her name is Sarah. And, and Sarah goes to a public school and has had all, you know, every class in public school and sees the craziness. And she dresses in clothes from like the 1920s. It's great. I mean, always long dresses, beautiful hats. You know, she's always very, and she has chosen innocence. Like she knows what's out there. And she's like, I just don't want any part of it. Yeah. That's a hard decision to make. Yeah. Cause you, you lose friends, you lose, you lose friends, perhaps. but also I think friends. you gain, you gain respect. Well, yeah. really, <laughs> it's such a great example right now. It speaks to her integrity because all you see are uh, leggings everywhere and crop tops on young girls. Yeah. So everyone's bellies are showing now and 
tight pants, so you see everything. <laughs> yeah. That's all over the teenage girl world and 20-year-old girl world and 30-year-old girl yeah. world, right? I go to the gym twice a week. Oh, say, like, keep, I'm the only one going. in there not wearing leggings, Sometimes I swear. Sometimes 60-year-old women wear <laughs> leggings. Every, every class, like, everybody's in their spandex. You should have a license for huh, that. <laughs> it gets even not more everyone. obstructive. No, I'm, I'm sorry. It's terrible. Anyway. <laughs> no, it's terrible. We're losing our innocence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I apologize. So, so speaking, of that, then, speaking of that, then, is it possible to restore innocence once it's been lost? You know, if you've, if you've lived a bad life, you know, are those memories always in your head? Like, can you get back to that childlike faith if you've kind of lost it all? You know, I think it's interesting because uh, this makes me think uh, about, you know, you, you go to confession and you receive forgiveness for your sins, but the wounds are there. Yeah. You know, it's not like, I don't know, it's not like you didn't see those things or it's not like you didn't do those things or it's not like the people that you hurt aren't aren't hurt either. Right. You know, so to an extent, you know, you could say, is it is it possible to, to you know, regain your innocence for that reason? Not entirely. Yeah. You know, I think maybe, I mean, certainly peace is found, right? You know? You receive grace, so you have received something, you know? Yeah. But I don't know if it's necessarily a, a total reclaiming of your innocence. And maybe it doesn't have to be because maybe it's those wounds that allow us to, to reach a higher state of glory. Yeah. You know? It's, it's something that you can be a testament to God's mercy. Like, look at all these wounds that I got, you know, and God still saved me. And then yeah. And ultimately now I had to overcome all these wounds. And Bishop Caggiano in... Uh... In in his show, let me be frank, has a has a which you can find on Wednesdays at Veritas, right? Yeah, yeah, Sorry. which is great. I love it. Yeah, uh, he has a he he did an episode. Oh man, which episode was it? But he he just he he made a comment in reference to Saint Ignatius of Loyola, which was don't curse your cannonball, hmm. and how that that injury you know was such a blessing on Saint Ignatius of Loyola's life. Hmm. And so you can make the same argument in this in this circle, I guess. You know, like don't curse your cannibal, whatever it might be. Well, Saint Augustine said that when God, when it says in Scripture in Romans eight twenty eight that all things work for good for those who love God, Saint Augustine commented and said all things includes our sins. And that's hard to see. You know, how oh, how do yeah. our sins glorify God? How does that work for good? Well, yeah, it's a paradox. You know. Yeah, I think that's interesting because it ties into what I was going to mention, which is on the question of can you recover innocence? Like, obviously. If enough damage is done, no. But sometimes you can kind of be headed back in the right direction. And just that act of sort of a, a small conversion can be a powerful witness. Like I, may, I may have told the story before, but around Halloween, I felt the need to just sort of mention to my CCD kids, my sixth graders specifically, to like avoid paranormal things and not play around with, you know, with things that are evil because they're evil and, you know, you can't play with evil like that. And one kid um, said that he and his friends, uh, sleepover or whatever, had found a Ouija board and had played with it. Ooh. And I was like, all right. And I said, what was your experience with it? And I said, well, yeah, like it was real. Like I was like, we weren't moving the pieces like they were being moved. And I was like, all right. And I, but I, and I said to him, well, I don't want to scare you. I don't want, like my goal here is not to freak you out, but I am going to encourage you to go home, tell your parents immediately that this happened to you and then ask them to take your confession as soon as you can, because that's the best way and the fastest way I think 
to connect, disconnect yourself from whatever this may have, whatever may have happened or not have happened. And, um, and the next class I, I said, I don't want to pry, but do you mind if I ask you, did you go to confession? She said, yeah, I told my parents right away and they brought me right away. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and, and I'm, I'm, great, I'm grateful for, for the fact that he went, had, had that experience of conversion there, mm-hmm. but everybody else watching it, it wasn't just some adult trying to scare them with a stupid story. It was one of their own peers taking it seriously enough to admit that he did something wrong mm. and experience with, with the demonic and then been turned around from it. Wow. And so like you could say, well, okay, it's got to really work through our sins. Well, like, yeah, in that case, because like God willing, now there's 10 other kids who know not to mess around with that, with that stuff. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I think in, in those, in those, some of those small ways, the Lord really does work through our sins. That's a cool story. We'll let him. Wow. Crazy story. Yeah, I was pretty but proud of him too. So. Yeah, I'm proud of him. But he was yeah. funny. He was, he was like, I told my mom and she was like, you're possessed. Get in the car. And I was like, you weren't, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you weren't possessed. You weren't possessed. If you could receive the Eucharist and not be in pain, you were probably not possessed. Like just, uh, you know, probably not possessed, whatever. Like, you know. Unfortunately, that's not true. That's well, not always true. Not always true, but I didn't want to scare this poor sixth grader when he had already gone to confession. Yeah, no, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's not possessed. Right. I'm sure. You're still a nice kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, go ahead. Oh, no, I just said right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just agreeing. Excellent. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, how has your faith changed since you were a child? You know, do you still have that childlike, your personal faith? You know, is it, you still have that childlike faith? There's, in what way has it changed? I actually care about it now. Oh, you didn't really? Uh, when you're, no. no. No? Not even when you were like, you know, I don't know. seven, I, eight, maybe, nine? Maybe it was, maybe it was a, a gradual decrease I think that I cared about it because I, I had a lot of really good examples in my life. Hmm. And so I think I cared about it because I was like, this is the right thing to do, you know, but it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't very personal, you know, Mm -hmm. I won, I won, this, this sounds very prideful. I was given the Thomas Aquinas, uh, award for virtue and I don't know. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. When I was in high school, I did not know who Thomas Aquinas was. Uh. Yeah, so, but you went to Trinity. So. But, but yeah, but do you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, but but that's, I used to be chaplain. Yeah, <laughs> he I gets to say that, and also I, I get to I agree. Say, yeah. But but do you know what I mean? Like I feel like yeah. like looking back to me, that's a good example of where my faith was, particularly because now I have such a great interest. Mm. You know what I mean? I've like I've read a, a whole bunch of Aquinas, you know, and and love him. Yeah, you know, and and perhaps that's from maturity. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, like, when I went to college, I, I essentially walked away from the faith. By the time I was a junior, I was telling people I was an atheist, not for any good reason, you know? Like, I didn't have any f- f- philosophical street, street reason. I was just like, yeah, yeah I want to, you know, never grow up. Yeah. I want to be a slave to my passions. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell people I'm an atheist because then I have no rules I have to follow. Right. You know? But, like, it w- it, it wasn't that it wasn't far. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was almost like it wasn't hard. Mm-hmm. You know? So your faith really deepened a lot as an adult. Yeah, big uh, time. Even though you you knew it all up in your head as a kid. Yeah, I twelve knew years it. Catholic school. Quotes, and, you know. Yeah. Again, I went to Trinity, so. <laughs> Which is now closed for those who yeah. didn't know. <laughs> I think for me, I was very strongly spiritually connected as a kid. Um so I've said this before, I believe, but like I have a sensation during prayer. And so when I was a child, when I laid down to pray, I had the sensation every time, instantly, as soon as I, like my prayer began. And then sometimes it's uh, what happened during mass or in other moments. Um, it's like a pain right in the center of my forehead. I know that sounds strange, but it, it'll like turn on and off. Um, and like a, 
like it's so painful you want to avoid it or um uh, it can get very strong to the point of like yes this hurts but it's really? never like i can't bear this um and then as an adult one time I mean, I, I still have it now, uh, sometimes in adoration, sometimes not. But um, at St. Patrick's, um, Father Andy brought me and Sister Anna Marie underneath the altar. And there's um, tombs under there, mm-hmm. you know, the and crypts, I yeah. felt it instantly. I was like, wow, this is a powerful place. I've never known like what to do with that. Uh, I'd like try to keep the sensation there or I'll like really try to focus prayer or, you know, make it more intentional. Um but yeah, I had it all the time as a kid. It was wow. just, so I was like, I think I'm going to be a prophet and I'm terrified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want God to use me. So that was like a constant battle uh, of fear, but liking it. And then it went away for a long time, I think, because I was in a state of mortal sin from not going to confession for years and not even knowing that I needed to or that I was in mortal sin. Like, I just didn't know any of that stuff. Um, but then also as a kid, I didn't know anything. And I wanted to know. So you're sitting at mass and you just get the readings. And I never felt the homilies were that good. So I didn't get much understanding or depth. So I've certainly grown in knowledge of the faith and how things connect from the Old Testament to the new. And, you know, Mm. I had no idea about that experience you get when you pray. People always find that so odd. I mean, I can't can't really explain it. I heard on the radio once someone described that they have a sensation in their heart that they feel kind of similar to me in like these grace filled moments or something. And it's like this beating sensation or this padding, padding like right in their chest. Wow. So they have it in the heart. I have it in the head. I don't know what that says, but (laughs) (laughs) you're more head than heart. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I am, do, I do not wish to return to faith in my childhood because as a child, I believed in God in the same way I believed in Santa, which is to say that when I needed something or I felt like it was important, I did. And I felt it acutely and otherwise it didn't really affect me. I mean, I didn't really go through a conversion until I was in eighth grade. And so to the extent that I don't know that I would still consider that to be like the peak of your childhood. Mm. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, my experience in this is just different, I suppose. But um, there's not really – I was not like some sort of like, you know, um, like pre-Augustine – Augustine before the conversion, like atheist. Like I was always a compulsive rule follower, so I was always like the quote-unquote good kid. But I can't say that I had a relationship with Jesus in any significant way or understood the faith very well. Um, um, and I suppose that that has been interesting trying to come into the faith – step into the faith as a sort of almost adult and then being an adult for most of my time in the faith because I don't – remember i have i have no experience of the docility of a child to remember mm. as mm. regards to faith um yeah um but it can, it's sort of been interesting trying to like rediscover the humility of a child before god in my own prayer life and my own spirituality so yeah 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 it's never too late to regain it what a gift yeah good what a gift i'm glad that i was wrong about that because well, i said before i don't know if you can you know i don't know if you can totally reclaim your innocence and you just said you know it's never too late to regain this this childlike. Well, I've often thought, you know, not being and not being an elderly person, I you know I speak out of turn. But when you become elderly, many of the characteristics of child being a child kind of comes back, right? You you suddenly can't feed yourself, and you have to wear adult diapers, and you know mm-hmm. you have to be dependent on everybody else, and and you forget things, and you you know you kind of regress back to your ignorance, which means that maybe you know. Maybe God gives us that so that yeah. we can grow in childlikeness, in yeah. humility. Yeah, humility He gives us this, this last extended period period of time where we are totally dependent. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
what's the line of Jesus in the gospel? I'm going to butcher it, but it was something like when you were a young man, you fastened your own belt and walked where you willed. But when you were an old man, someone else will tie your belt and take you where you, where they want you to go or something like that. Same yeah. Peter. St. Peter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the surrendering to the will of God. Right. And at the beginning of your life, you have no choice, but to surrender to other people's will. So like, I guess then the struggle of the middle of your life is to have the power to to exercise your own will and choose to subordinate your will to that of others, right? Yeah, actually, it's funny because I preached preached on that on the Feast of the Holy Family because we were talking about, you know, one of the things is, as children, obviously, we have to obey our parents. When you turn 18, you don't stop obeying. The whole reason why you obey your parents for 18 years is so that you've been trained in obedience, That's so now you can obey God with wow. total, that to- same total obedience that you should have had towards your parents, too. Right. So... Anyway, thank you so much for joining us in this episode of Restless. My challenge for you is to seek after those virtues of being a child in the eyes of God. You know, that the virtue of total surrender, trust, humility, uh, joy, that, that just that unconditional love that children have. Because Christ tells us that no matter what our stage in life is, we must become like children in order to enter the kingdom. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM, and also wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time.